Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Again, we hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we hope all of our political figures truly enjoyed the gifts we uh, decided to get for them this holiday season in our Black Friday special on Friday. If you haven't heard that one yet, uh, it's a lot of fun. So go ahead and uh, take some time to go back and listen to that at some point. But uh, Jim, two good martinis today and a uh, and a crazy and with uh, communist Chinese bookends. So uh, let's get to the good one first. Um, a delegation of four Democrats and one Republican made plans to visit Taiwan over the holiday break. Uh, but China decided it didn't want that to happen. So the Chinese called up Michigan Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, who is the leader of this delegation, instructing her, that's the word, instructing her to call off the trip. But the five representatives went anyway, leading to a fresh round of accusations from China's foreign minister that the U.S. is messing with the one China principle. Here's the story. Five U.S. lawmakers met with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen on Friday in a surprise one-day visit intended to reaffirm America's rock-solid support for the self-governing island that is claimed by China. The visit came as tensions between Taiwan and China have risen to their highest level in decades. Taiwan has been self-ruled since the two sides split during a civil war in 1949, but China considers the island part of its own territory. China was quick to condemn the trip and later announced that its military conducted air and naval readiness patrols on Friday in the direction of the Taiwan Strait, which is the 160-kilometer, or 100-mile, wide body of water that separates China and Taiwan. And so uh, good on the members of this delegation, Jim, for uh, basically stiff-arming the Communist Chinese Party here on uh, telling, trying to tell them what to do. That's Alyssa Slotkin of Michigan, Mark Takano, and Sarah Jacobs of California, Colin Allred of Texas, and Nancy Mace from South Carolina. But what makes it even more ridiculous that the Chinese wanted to do this is that this is the third congressional delegation to Taiwan this year, and the first two hardly raised a blip. So this is clearly an effort of the Chinese to uh, have a public spectacle of bullying the United States. And this delegation uh, just said, absolutely not, we're going to do this. And so they did it. Greg, listeners to this podcast may have noticed that a lot of our topic selections deal with China, uh, from Peng Shui to the origin of the virus, to the treatment of the Uyghurs, to Hong Kong. Um, And I think one of the things we see here is that China's attitude, they have this phrase called wolf warrior diplomacy, named after these kind of really cheesy action movies they have out there that are completely ultra-nationalistic propaganda. And I think in the last one, the Americans were like involved in human, U.S. Navy SEALs were involved in human smuggling and uh, Chinese commandos had to go and liberate them. Um, By the way, it's exactly or very similar to the Valley of the Wolves, which was this big Turkish anti-American propaganda film. Uh, that was big in Turkey back when I was living over in Turkey from 2004 to 2007. So there's this almost universal cliched formula for ultra-nationalist propaganda action films. Uh, and it's always U.S. soldiers who are doing bad things and smuggling people or stealing their organs or something like that. Um, what we see in this is that the Chinese government really wants to pick fights on topics that usually even most authoritarian brutal regimes didn't really throw that much of a fit about. Maybe North Korea would be hypersensitive and offer some sort of like furious denunciation. But you notice like we, we don't like Iran, but we don't keep track of every single uh, legislator from one of our allied countries going to visit Iran. 
we choose our battles. There are times we think this is a big deal, like say the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Oh, actually we don't care about that anymore. Never mind. <laughs> um, but you know, there are times we will pick and choose our battles. The Chinese foreign ministry really does seem to want to pick, you know, everything that they could conceivably be perceived as a snub. They like to, to ratchet it up, to maximize the pressure, to see if they can get somebody to back down. And right as we were taping, Greg, uh, something, you know, kind of a new element of this broke, apparently, um, the Global Times, which is an English language Chinese state run publication, said that the uh, Chinese foreign ministry says that they have no plan to ask any U.S. politicians to attend the Winter Olympics, uh, which means that basically you may have heard that, you know, we've, at one point it was, Josh Rogan reported we were going to have a diplomatic boycott of the Olympics. Then nothing really happened. Then Biden said we were in the Oval Office that we were considering it. Nothing's actually happened in the next couple of days. And now it kind of seems like the uh, Chinese foreign ministry has decided to head them off the pass and say, you know what, you're not invited. It doesn't matter if you if you guys choose to do a diplomatic boycott because we don't even want you here anyway, uh, which would kind of make a Biden administration announcement now seem kind of silly and after the fact and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, now here's the thing. A diplomatic boycott of the Olympics is probably like the mildest and least consequential ways that the U.S. could say, hey, you know, you guys are committing genocide. You probably shouldn't be hosting the Olympics. That's that's a bit of a contradiction to the Olympic spirit. And uh, it appears that the, you know, Chinese government decided, no, we're going to we're going to ratchet this up. So one good on these lawmakers for going to visit Taiwan. It is ridiculous that China thinks that it can tell U.S. lawmakers where they can and cannot visit. And it is good that, they, you know, in the face of this pressure, uh, when we've seen so many other forces in American society, so many big institutions, so many powerful figures knuckle under to pressure from the Chinese. And let's face it, a lot of people on the Democratic side of the aisle really have no appetite for conflict with China, other than maybe in the context of trade. In this case, you actually do see them standing up to them and saying, no, we're going to recognize Taiwan. We're going to visit. We're going to meet with their leaders. A rare moment to those, those the handful of Democratic lawmakers in there. Attaboy, guys. Uh, keep it up and uh, don't let China bully you and tell you where you can and can't go. Exactly. It was a one-day trip, so... You know, mercy on all these people for their jet lag uh, going all the way over there and back uh, in just a day or two. But, uh, you know, two things accomplished here. Number one, telling China, you can't tell us what to do. And number two, giving Taiwan a shot in the arm. Yeah, we're on your side. So not, not sure exactly where the administration is on that second one, but it's uh, good to see a bipartisan delegation delivering that message. And hopefully the administration agrees. Greg, I think the simplest way to describe our philosophy is that if China tells you where you can go, you should tell China where it can go. <laughs> Absolutely. So this is the example of how you should respond to China. Later in this edition of the Three Martini Lunch, we're going to show you the exact opposite uh, and the wrong way to respond to China in our crazy martini. In the meantime, though, look, uh, the economy uh, did not magically get a whole lot better over Thanksgiving uh, break, despite the Biden administration trying to trot out a bunch of uh, statistics to uh, to make you forget about inflation and the cost of that Thanksgiving meal and the higher price of gas and everything else. But look, you want to diversify your portfolio so your investments don't necessarily ride the roller coaster of the value of the dollar. And gold and silver can be a place where you can make that diversification happen. The price of silver, for example, has increased 340% since the year 2000, and it continues trending higher. So if gold and or silver is where you want to explore next for your investments, there's no better place to do that than universal coin and bullion. Universal Coin and Bullion is offering our listeners a special locked-in price of just $30 
for a beautiful one ounce 2021 American Silver Eagle coin, the most popular coin in the world for collectors and investors. This limited offer is available at dealer's cost because Universal Coin wants you to own the first newly designed silver bullion coin since President Reagan signed the Gold Bullion Act in 1985. Call Universal Coin, which are leaders in the precious metals industry, at 1-800-UCB-GOLD to get your beautiful U.S. Mint silver coin for only $30. Postage is free and you will be dealing with the experts. And the other thing you want to know when you're investing anywhere, but especially in gold and silver in this context, is that you can trust the people that you're dealing with and they know what they're doing. And Dr. Mike Fulgens and his team at Universal Coin and Bullion definitely fit both of those bills. Dr. Fulgens is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. He's the 2021 Coin Dealer of the Year. Uh, they also have those rare gold coins that a lot of people like. But this special silver deal is only available by using the code MARTINI. So use the code MARTINI when you call 800-UCB-GOLD. That's 800-UCB-GOLD. All right, Jim, on to our second martini now. And I think it's mostly a good martini. We know that Beto's uh, running for the Democratic nomination for governor in Texas. There have been a lot of speculation, though, and we talked about it a number of times, uh, as to whether the actor Matthew McConaughey would also run for governor. I think we kind of assumed that if he did, it would be as a Democrat. But... I don't know that he ever specifically said that. Uh, I doubt it would have been as a Republican. But uh, after much uh, consideration, McConaughey has decided not to run. And given Beto's popularity statewide now as compared to 2018, I think that makes uh, it easier for Greg Abbott to win. But I also kind of like what uh, Matthew McConaughey had to say here. Uh, in terms of uh, his announcement, he says uh, we need to focus more on personal responsibility. That's always a nice conservative message. And uh, he explained that uh, he's going to be spending his time uh, working with different organizations to build the American dream. So uh, good things in the cadence that you can only get from Matthew McConaughey. As a simple kid born in the little town of Uvalde, Texas, it never occurred to me that I would one day be considered for political leadership. It's a humbling and inspiring path to ponder. It is also a path that I'm choosing not to take at this moment. What am I going to do? I'm going to continue to work and invest the bounty I have by supporting entrepreneurs, businesses, and foundations that I believe are leaders, establishments that I believe are creating pathways for people to succeed in life, organizations that have a mission to serve and build trust while also generating prosperity. That's the American dream. So, Jim, I don't know what organizations he's going to partner with. It could end up being a bunch of left-wing outfits. But the idea that uh, serving others, building prosperity, achieving the American dream, those are things you don't hear a lot from the left. So uh, maybe Matthew McConaughey is a little more uh, politically sensible than we first thought. Greg, you know how I feel about Matthew McConaughey choosing to not run for governor? I have a feeling. <laughs> I feel all right. All right. All right. Um, you, you saw that coming a mile away. Look, I, I, you listen to that. You listen to his previous statements on politics. And, and let's face it, Matthew McConaughey is, is not claiming to be and has never pretended to be a detailed policy walk. Uh, his heart seems to be in the right place. He seems like a good guy, particularly by the standards of Hollywood actors. Um, he clearly has great love for his state. He seems, you know, you know I remember his... Um, Every celebrity was coming out with their keep your chin up, we're all in this together type message. A lot of them ended up being really insufferable. Sorry, Gal Gadot, I love you. But that was just an insufferable, uh, uh, painful celebrity singing of Imagine there. Um, 
you know, McConaughey's was different saying, hey, this could be our finest hour. We all have to be the ones who try to lift each other up and help each other get through this. It was all the, all the right kind of things. But in the end, there's always a danger with a celebrity who runs for political office. Sometimes you end up with Ronald Reagan. Sometimes you end up with Jesse Ventura. Um, <laughs> I think Matthew McConaughey clears that low bar. But I don't know if I want somebody running for governor as a lark, and I don't know if I want somebody getting elected simply because he's a famous name. Um, would he have made it less likely for Republicans to win? Probably. I have a feeling he would have taken more votes from uh, Beto O'Rourke, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I, I think he probably would have uh, brought a lot of the disengaged into politics. But in the end, I don't know if, if Matthew McConaughey um, there's having general values and then there's knowing how to translate those values into specific policies and knowing what you want to do in the governor's mansion. What laws do you want passed? What policies do you want changed? Who do you want to appoint to all of these state positions and, and all of that? So I think uh, generally I like Matthew McConaughey. I think actually it's it's actually reassuring to see. I, I, I don't, you know, from the way he's talked about, talked in that video, it suggests he may have recognized the complexity of the job and realized, well, actually, I don't, I don't know if I want to jump into this. I want to be a little more prepared for this. And I think that this focusing on uh, businesses and nonprofits and groups that are helping make the state a better place. Yeah, that this may be lining himself up. This may be getting people to take him more seriously as a uh, potential uh, leader in state government, as opposed to being, oh, that, you know, Hollywood actor who always has this kind of charming, laid back attitude. Um, look, I think when he chooses to run, he'll probably attract a great deal of support. Uh, but I'm glad that he's not running. And, you know, he may very well be more to the left than I'd like him to be. I think I said, I think his heart is in the right place. But the fact that he chose not to, and he seems to kind of indicate he realizes the enormous responsibilities of the job, that's actually a reassuring sign that suggests that maybe four years from now or eight years from now, he could come back as a very, you know, potentially compelling candidate. Well, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know, like I said at the beginning, whether he was, if he would have gotten in, how he would have run as a Democrat or as an independent, uh, for example. If he had run as a Democrat, I think he would have been a bigger threat. If he runs as an independent, I think you're absolutely right that he would have taken more votes away from Beto. So if that was what he was contemplating, it might not be a good martini. I mean, I still think Abbott's going to be fine. But uh, I think if he gets in, he definitely takes more away from the left than the right at this point. But uh, fun, fun to see. And we had a lot of fun with those martinis over time. So we'll see what he does from here. But uh, in the meantime, Maybe, Jim, maybe he got an X chair and he just doesn't want to leave it. Uh, I mean, you could take it to the governor's mansion. I'm sure that's what you would do if you uh, were ever elected to, uh, to to be governor. But whether you're at your desk uh, as, as a reporter or uh, whether you're the governor of Texas or any other position, the X chair, I'm guessing, is what you would endorse uh, in addition to any candidate. Oh, look, I hope your holiday se- I hope your Thanksgiving wasn't stressful and you enjoyed getting together with your family. And I hope your holiday season isn't too stressful. You know, we have our... Uh, greatly reduced holiday activities last year. It's 2021. People are vaccinated. People are getting back into the swing of things. More parties, more Christmas concerts, more get-togethers. Great, you know. But maybe it's making, maybe it's stressing you out. You got to figure out, you know, gifts and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, look, you're gonna have to sit in your chair at your job. You're gonna have to sit in your chair, probably in your home office, with everybody working from home these days. You're gonna want the X chair. You know, maybe you tell somebody that special somebody who really wants to get you something nice. Tell them you want the X chair for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you happen to choose to celebrate. You will thank me later. Your back will thank me. Your butt will thank me. Your arms, your shoulders, your neck, all these things that kind of just make 
uh, it can get really uncomfortable if you're sitting in your, you know, dining room table chair or your kitchen table chair, and it's just not designed to be sat in for a long stretch as you're working at your computer. Trust me, you want the X chair, you need the X chair. And once you have it, sitting down and doing a lot of work will feel like a breeze. And now is the perfect time to purchase an X chair. Why do you ask? Because now is the only time that X chair goes on sale all year. It is Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. Obviously, today's Cyber Monday. And since you deserve an X chair, you're going to kick yourself if you miss this special deal. How good is the deal? How about saving up to $500 on the X chair? This is a four day deal only, Black Friday through Cyber Monday. So today's the last day. Go to xchairmartini.com now. That's the letter X chair, M A R T I N I.com. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $25 per month. Go to xchairmartini.com and save up to $500. But you got to do it today, xchairmartini.com. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And, of course, the mainstream media, as soon as Thanksgiving was over, all had the vapors about the new variant coming out of uh, South Africa. It's officially uh, called uh, the uh, Omicron uh, variant. My uh, brother, who of course is Greek like me, says it's vital that we all pronounce it the correct way, Omicron. So that is the official Greek pronunciation, and you're supposed to roll that R, and I didn't do a very good job of it there. But nonetheless, we're up to uh, this particular variant. And uh, how did we get this particular name? Well, of course, we can't name it after the places where they originate from because that's xenophobic or something. Then uh, we started doing the uh, Greek alphabet, one variant at a time. That's why I've been talking about the Delta variant so much. And then we keep getting new variants. But then we just skipped over two of them between the Mu variant and the Omicron uh, variant. So first there was the new variant, and it's understandable that that would be a little bit confusing because you're talking about the new variant. Oh, what about the old variant? It turns into a Abbott and Costello routine. But then there's the other one, and it's uh, pronounced Xi, but it's spelled X-I. And so the World Health Organization has admitted, Jim, to reporters that they skipped over Xi because it's spelled like the name of the Chinese leader, uh, and they uh, they don't want to denigrate or cause political tensions because of the Greek letter assigned to this particular variant. So uh, we're almost two years into this, and the WHO cannot stop licking the boots of the Communist Chinese Party. Greg, when you think back to the beginning of this pandemic and how for three to six weeks the Chinese government insisted the virus was not contagious and could not be spread from human being to human being, even separate from the question of whether this all traces back to a lab leak at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I'm not that upset about them choosing to not call this the XI or G virus, because in my mind, Greg, they're all G viruses. <laughs> Every variant. Um, I also want to point out that uh, listeners to this podcast are probably not surprised that Greg tries to focus on getting the correct Greek pronunciation of it, whereas I see Omicron as sounding very much like the villain from a Transformers movie. So uh, I'm going to say it is the Omicron virus. Uh, I think it's kind of the, you should have the scariest voice possible. I wrote about this at length in today's Morning Jolt. It's very early in this process. There are already some uh, researchers in, in Israel and South Africa who are saying, look, the bad news is this looks really, really, really contagious. The good news is that so far the symptoms are mild. This may not be any worse than the virus we have already. And uh, I, I was kind of surprised when I heard the, you know, saying it's more, it's more contagious than Delta. 
Delta's really contagious. <laughs> so it's kind of like, wait a second. I, I checked the um, the replication number, the RO factor uh, or R0. It was it's up. You know, was the first version of SARS was like two and a half or so, and maybe two point three, I think. And then uh, the the Delta variant is closer to five. Obviously, higher the more contagious it is. So that's really bad. But there are certain diseases that can go higher. Chickenpox goes higher than that. So it is conceivable to have a variant that is even more contagious than Delta. The good news is that because we have not seen mass death in the streets in South Africa, um, that there's quite a possibility this is actually a more contagious, but not as virulent, or not as harmful, or not as likely to kill you version of this virus. Uh, of this virus. Um, which if you've read John Barry's The Great Influenza, this is actually, or The Great Pandemic, this is actually what happened in the influenza pandemic. Um, it really, the, the generally, this is a concept called reversion of the mean. And that once you've got a version of a virus that is really deadly and really bad, it really hits you, then all future mutations and all future changes are going to make it slightly less bad. Uh, and that's basically what happened with that one. And they didn't have the advantage of all the medical advances that we have right now. So. Um, I would say you know, keep an eye on this. This is not something you can necessarily, uh, no, no pun intended, not something to sneeze at. Um, don't uh, completely ignore it, but also the, just the entire coverage pretty much since uh, uh, Thanksgiving Day has just you know, jumped to DEFCON 1. And you're already seeing places that are you know, reenacting. New York City's putting back the, max, the, the mask mandates. And I think it was Kathy Hochul up in New York State uh, said they're already telling hospitals to cancel non-essential uh, uh, medical procedures, which like we, we don't even have a case of the Omicron virus showing up here in the United States yet. Now, could it be here? Sure. In fact, it's probably here considering the sheer amount of travel we have around. But uh, by and large, this, this all, you know, and I understand you want to get ahead of the virus, but it really does feel like we're in danger of turning into a chicken little situation. You look back to the coverage of Mu, Nu, and a bunch of these other, actually, actually they, didn't do, they didn't do a new virus because of the expectation of the Abbott Costello routines that would come out. <laughs> What's the new virus? Oh, it's the new virus. Um, but there are other cases where we thought this, oh God, here comes the really big, bad, scary variant. And it turned out to not be much. Now, some of them are bad. Some, you know, Delta is clearly a much more, you know, much more contagious version of the original one. Um, but all in all, as you look at the case numbers in the United States, the Delta variant swept through the South earlier in the summer. It's making its way north. I think Michigan currently has the highest uh, highest rate in the country right now. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to panic. Just I would say keep an eye on this. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, go get vaccinated. If you haven't gotten boosted and you're eligible, go get boosted. You know what? If you're not eligible, go get boosted anyway. They don't ask any questions on that. Um, you want to avoid crowds? Go to go ahead and avoid crowds. You want to wear a mask? Go ahead and wear a mask. But recognize you can't control other people's activities. And I think that as of this morning, there's still something like 44% of the world's population is not vaccinated. So this virus is still going to have opportunities to continue to mutate on. And you know, it's going to jump from person to person. So just recognize what you can control and what you can't control and go about your lives. And you're probably going to be fine. That said, I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on TV. Jim, the doctor in South Africa who has been studying this most closely says, to date, the symptoms she's seen are considerably milder than the ones she's seen from previous variants. Yet as we speak, Joe Biden is on television uh, whipping up concern over this and uh, making people scared about this. Fauci is you know, doing the same thing over the weekend. Why is that the knee-jerk reaction? After two years of this, we're still getting this. Every time there's a new development in this, uh, everybody lights their hair on fire. Three factors. The first is the sheer number of people who have become, I think, honestly, full-blown neurotic about this. And look, you know, when, when March 2020 society shuts down, there's this whole new virus. 
uh, it's understandable, right? We, we didn't know very much. We're all, you know, the, the human instinct is to be very afraid of the unknown. Uh, the second is the last thing anybody in government wants to do is be seen as underreacting. The last, you know, because if, if you overreact, people will forget about that. Or at least they think they'll forget about that. The same way, like every time a hurricane comes along, you know, ever since Hurricane Katrina, every, you know, governor who's approaching a hurricane uh, metaphorically goes to DEFCON 1 and, you know, goes out and meets with FEMA and mobilizes the National Guard and orders evacuations. They act, and then sometimes the storm isn't that bad. But it's one of those things where they don't think they'll ever get too much blame for overreacting. They're really terrified of being accused of underreacting to a threat. And the third thing is, is that, look, you know, ultimately, the, these pandem this pandemic has demonstrated there are a lot of people in government who just love control. They love telling you what you can and can't do. They love telling you you can only be on the streets at certain hours. You can only go. You got, you got, you got to wear that mask here. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You can't, sell, you can't sell flower seeds in the stores. Governor Gretchen Whitmer tells you because, oh, that could be dangerous. God knows how, but, you know, people go throw their backs out, you know, putting in the seeds or something. You know, there is this desire to control, which I think is really coursing through the bloodstream of a lot of people in government, more Democrats and Republicans. But I'm I'm sure you can find some Republican examples of this. Oh, by the way, most of these people exempt themselves or ignore their own restrictions. I think the mayor of San Francisco got caught uh, partying in a club without a mask yet again. Just this past weekend, Joe Biden was in a store doing some early Christmas shopping. The store has a sign that said mask mandatory. Biden, they take pictures of Biden through the store window. His mask isn't on. You know, there's a lot of this is theater. But I think that people have gotten so adapted to this that it's so ingrained in them that this was kind of like ringing a fire alarm and everybody went to their their battle stations everybody went to their fire stations um and just you know almost automatically whether or not this actually turns out to be a really serious really you know uh any type of a game changer of a variant wow well, we'll see where it goes from here. I feel like the American people, whether they've gotten the vaccine or they've already had it, you know, natural immunity used to be a thing. Uh, I feel like they're going to be less freaked out than the government uh, folks by this. But we'll see where it goes from here. So, Jim, welcome back. As always, good to be back with you. And we'll do it again tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. We're always very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast and follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, this is Greg Corumbus, and I'm here with Dr. Mike Fulgens. He's the president of Universal Coin and Bullion. Mike was recently named the 2021 Dealer of the Year by the American Numismatic Association. Mike, given all the uh, economic uncertainty right now, what's your forecast for gold and silver in the months ahead? I think people should immediately get gold and silver in their portfolio now. And if they have it, increase the percentages by 5 to 10%. The World Gold Council recommends a 10 to 20% portion of your portfolio be in gold. It's life insurance for the rest of your portfolio. And I predict gold and silver to be up 10 to 30% by 2022 due to inflation, the increasing debt, and other factors of uncertainty. And uncertainty drives gold and silver. If you think we're going to have more uncertainty over the next year, buy gold and silver. It's going up, in my opinion. Dr. Mike Fulgens is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. Contact Mike and his team of professionals at Universal Coin and Bullion to own your gold and silver coins now. Call 1-800-UCB-GOLD.